0: A friend of mine whose name is Dave was asked by his pastor—he lives uh, in a state far away from here—he was asked by his pastor to lead a Bible study, and he told him no because his schedule was jam-packed. He did not have room for anything else in his life. But then a few days later, someone else asked him to lead a Bible study in his home. It was a husband and a wife, and, and they had a good relationship. And and strangely, my friend Dave thought about it, and he really sensed that the Holy Spirit was saying, I know your schedule is jam-packed. I want you to lead this Bible study anyway. And so he agreed to it. He said, We'll do it for nine months. I think it was the fall at that time. We'll go through the fall, the winter, the spring. But when summer comes, we'll we'll bring it to an end. And so they agreed to that. So they began the Bible study in this home. These two couples. Soon word got out. And they found their house jam-packed with people. Thirty people were crowding into this house to hear my friend Dave teach the Bible. In this group of thirty people was a young woman by the name of Helen. She would come in every week, sit cross-legged on the floor, would not speak to anyone. Her eyes were vacant, her cheeks hollowed, her face expressionless. She would stare at the floor right in front of her. The Bible study would be over, and she would leave. This went on month after month after month when she was there, and she would come and she would take the same spot on the floor, the same vacant stare. Finally, it came time for the Bible study to come to an end. Fall turned into winter, winter into spring, the weather got warm and they announced one evening that their bible study was coming to an end and this young woman whose name was helen burst out saying why why does it have to end and everyone was stunned she speaks <laughs> and they were doubly stunned by the question that she asked and then she said If it's a matter of location, I'll open up my apartment, and you can all come to my apartment. I just don't want this to end." Well that was an open door to get more involved in her life. God had been working all along in her heart. So they got more involved in her life, and they found out about her. They discovered that she was either the third or the, the fourth child in a family of six siblings. Her father had died many years previously, leaving the mother to raise all of those kids by herself. They had some kind of church background because uh, she uh, went on a mission trip, and she was very excited about that mission trip. But when she came back from it, some bad things happened in her church, and and she began to drift. Then she got involved in the drug culture. She began to lead a promiscuous life. Hence, when she came back to anything spiritual— The vacant stare, the expressionless face, the hollowed out cheeks, she was wasted. It was as if all the life had been sucked out of her. I'm going to tell you the conclusion to this story in a little bit. But I can tell you this. The combination of the spiritual gift that was exercised through my friend who had a teaching gift and through the love of the community is what began to revive her heart and to bring life back into her. And I'll tell you what happened to her life in just a few minutes. I would like you right now to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you did not bring your Bible today, you should find a Bible on the seat next to you. It's page 959 in it. And we're going to look today at this, one of the most famous passages of Scripture. As most of you know, if not all of you know, this is the famous chapter on the topic of love. Many things have been said about this chapter. Many things have been written about this chapter in the past 2,000 years. As I said, it is one of the most famous in the Bible. But one of the greatest things I heard was uttered just recently, just a couple of months ago in our facility here. Pastor Matt Kessler was talking about it, and he said, people need to realize that 1 Corinthians 13 was not written for a wedding ceremony It was written to help people focus and stay on track with the use of their spiritual gifts. How many of you have ever been to a wedding where you heard 1 Corinthians 13 spoken on our red? Can I look at all turn around look at all the hands going up here. That's right. I've officiated at a lot of wedding ceremonies through the years and from time to time I've spoken on 1 Corinthians 13. It just goes and it is a good passage to read at a, at a wedding ceremony. The 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 groom and the bride they will need to be reminded about what is written there not too long from that wedding date. And they will need to put those things into practice. But when the Apostle Paul wrote those words back in the 50s in the Mediterranean world, he did not sit down and think, you know, I foresee that someday in Western culture, there's going to be wedding ceremonies and those couples who are entering into these marriages without a clue as to what it's about, they're going to need some really good guidance here. So I better write this down. No, that's not why he wrote this passage here. He wrote this passage here to help people focus and stay on track with the use of their spiritual gifts. Now, a couple of weeks ago, before Matt and the others, they took off for Tanzania, I asked him if he would refresh me and and all of us on why we did this series anyway on spiritual gifts. Because I thought it might be good to hear again why we've done it. You know, it seems like it was 10 years ago that we started this. I mean it was back in September and that's when it was 100 degrees outside and we were waiting for weather like this. And so now here we come at the end of this series on spiritual gifts. And I must confess to you as I thought about preaching this message, I thought, you know, this this weather is so Christmassy. So thanks givy e e e. That's not a word, but I, you know, you know what I mean. So thanksgivingness. So anyway, I would rather give a message on that. But here I am giving the tail end of this message on spiritual gifts. But this is what God has in store for us. So, so why did we do this anyway? Well, here's some of the things that Matt and, and Britt and, and Robert and others shared. They said, we went through this series on spiritual gifts because there is a lot of diverse teaching out there on this topic some of it is helpful and a lot of it is not helpful at all people have been hurt by this unhelpful teaching on spiritual gifts People have been deeply wounded by the misuse of spiritual gifts. And we want this series to create a healing environment in the church so that those who have been hurt can be restored and can walk in the fullness of what Jesus Christ has for them. Here's a second reason why we did this series on spiritual gifts. It's so that we might be open to the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we do want to heal hurts. But we do want to see the Holy Spirit work with greater power in each of our lives individually, in our marriages, in our families, and in our community, and to use us in this city. I don't think I have to remind you that we're not a club. We're not a country club. We are the people of God on mission. Is that right? In fact, we hear this statement all the time. Robert just read it to us. We hear this read every Sunday, but let's read it together, okay? Let's remind ourselves of what Grace Northridge is. Are you ready? Here we go. Grace is a gospel community enjoying the presence of God, making disciples, and developing kingdom leaders to live on mission. Now, there's, there's one little problem in reciting this. When we say that grace is, it's almost like grace over there, those are the people. So, I want us to say this again, but I want us to change a couple of words. I want us to say we are a gospel community, okay? Here we go. Let's do it again. Ready? We are a gospel community enjoying the presence of God, making disciples, and developing kingdom leaders to live on mission. I think we all know this. This world in which we live is a world with immense, almost incomprehensible need. And if we are going to be a people on mission, we must have the power of the Holy Spirit in order to meet this immense need. It's just incredible. I pastored for many years, and and then in 2012, my wife and I launched uh, a ministry that we've been involved now in in seven years, and God has given us the opportunity to minister to different people around the world. And as we interact with them, and sometimes have them in our homes, we hear of of this unbelievable, tremendous needs in the world. there is no need here, pretty much, compared to what you hear about in in the other parts of the world. How many of you have heard of a woman by the name of Asiya Bibi? Have you heard of her? Okay, a handful of you. Asiya Bibi is a Christian woman who lives in the country of Pakistan. She was out working the farmlands one day for her Muslim overlords. She's married with, with several kids, but, but still to make ends meet, they're so poor. They all have to work. And her Muslim overlord, some of the women there uh, at, at the farm, asked her to go fetch them a drink of water. She was tired. She was thirsty, but she had to obey. So she went to get a drink of water. She got it in a cup. She took it back to them. They drank. And then she committed the unpardonable sin. She took a sip of water from the same cup. And the Muslim women were outraged that she dared to drink this infidel dared to drink out of the same cup that they drank out of they grabbed her by the hair of her head and they drug her through the fields and they demanded that she convert to islam at the moment and she said i will not well then they concocted these charges against her and they said she has blasphemed islam which she did not she did not say anything bad at all about it and they threw her in jail they put her on trial, and they condemned her to death by hanging. As she lived on death row for eight years until the Supreme Court of Pakistan in early October announced that a great injustice had been done against her, and they released her. Well, people were rejoicing when they, when they heard that, but within 24 hours... Pakistan was rioting. Strong Muslim men were carrying clubs and going through the streets and beating people, and they were demanding that the government release this woman, this mother of five, so that they could hang her for the terrible crime that she had committed. To this day, she is in hiding. The government wanted to release her and let her get out of the country, but they had not been able to get her out of the country yet. Kathy and I have friends who live in Pakistan, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we were in communication with them at this time, and they were saying, we have to lay low right now. Our lives, everybody's life is in danger at this moment, right now, because of what these other people are doing. And so we were praying for them. I, I shared that story with you just to reinforce the point that the needs of the world are vast. It is just unbelievable. But we know that the answer to all of the problems, and I'm trying. I'm not being simplistic here, but we do know that the answer is Jesus Christ and the gospel message and giving them the biblical worldview. We know that that is the answer, and we have the answer. And in order to go forward in this world of immense need, we must have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's why Matt and the others led us through this series on the Holy Spirit, and experiencing the gifts of the Spirit that He has for us. They also said this. They said, Jonathan, and, and I, my wife and I have been here for three years now in this church, and this church is seven years old. They said, this has been the heartbeat of this church since its inception. This is who we are and so this teaching was, was designed to clarify who we are, to raise awareness of the ministry of the Spirit, to encourage everyone to discover, to develop, and to deploy their gifts for the glory of God and to advance the kingdom mission. But the motivation behind it all is love. Love has come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And love now comes into the world through the body of Jesus Christ, who is us. We are the body of Christ. We are now the embodiment of love. And this brings us to our passage today, 1 Corinthians 13, page 959 on your Bible. I have three things I want to share with you this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The first one is this. Without love, we have no message, we are nothing, and we profit nothing if we have no love. Follow along as I read the first three verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am Nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, to be a martyr, but have not love, I gain nothing. That's really powerful. Those three phrases there uh, number one, that we have no message number two in in verse two that we are nothing and in verse three that we gain nothing without love should be impactful should actually be a little bit scary to all of us it was scary to me i um i was raised here in san antonio my uh, my parents led me to christ when i was five years old when I was 16, I devoted my life to Christ. I went forward at, at a youth service, and I said, Lord, I'm tired of fooling around. I want to give myself exclusively to you, and I want to, I want to serve you. And, and it wasn't long after that that people started coming up to me and, and saying, you know, I think you have the gift of pastor teaching. And uh, I didn't fully understood, understand at that time what it meant, but it was confirmed later. So at the age of 18, I, I moved away from San Antonio. I went up to Kansas City, went to Bible school there, went to the university there. And shortly after that, I became a pastor in a, in a church up in Kansas City. As a young pastor, I found myself uh, during a season of life where... I had a large amount of time on my hands, free free time on my hands. And so I thought, how can I use my time best to honor God? And so I I thought about something I should study. So I asked, what, what should I study? And then I asked myself this question. Well, what is the greatest command? And the greatest command is to love God with all your heart. And then the next is to love your neighbor as yourself. So I thought, I am going to look up every verse in the New Testament that uses the word love. I'm going to write it out. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to think about it. And I'm going to ask God to make me a man of love because that's the greatest command. So I want to be a man of love. And so I did that. It it took me several weeks. I still have my notes from it, pages and pages of notes. I finally made a list of 99 things I discovered that the New Testament says about love. I tried as hard as I could, and I just could not get to number 100. I just couldn't find it. Maybe the Lord is saving it for when he comes in, and he says, Jonathan, here's number 100. I, I, was, I was just holding it back just for kicks. <laughs> but I found those 99 things. Now, as I studied all of those things on love, I came across this passage in 1 Corinthians 13. And, and I, I begin to study what it said and it hit me really hard. Because I was growing in my faith. I was growing as a young pastor. I was, I was learning to, de- I was developing my speaking gift, my teaching gift, and, and God was using me to have impact. And I was giving lots of teaching and lots of messages. But then he said to me, Jonathan, if you don't have love, all your messages are just a big old gong. How many of you remember the gong show? back in the, what was that, 70s? What was that? Anyway, that's what you are. You're just somebody with a, with a rock and a tin can just walking around like this, just a clanging cymbal. If you don't have love. And that really, really pierced my heart because my life was about messages. And to think that I had no message if I didn't have that. So I, I began to pray. Let me tell you one other experience that happened to me as, as a young man. When I was 18 and, and I knew that I was on my way to, to move up to Kansas City to go to school, uh, my parents and I took a trip from here in San Antonio to Denton, just north of Dallas, to visit some relatives. And so we got there during the day and, and the adults, they went off into to the room to talk and there I was uh, by myself. So I went to the living, living room and sat down And when I sat in this uh, chair, there was a, a table right there beside it, and on the table was a book by, the author's name was Leonard Ravenhill, a British man. And the title of the book was, Why Revival Tarries? Why Revival Tarries? So I picked it up. I opened it up. And it wasn't just the book that opened. It's like heaven opened. It was an experience like I had never experienced before. I began to read on the first page, and I'm sure I began to cry. I was just stunned by what I read as the Holy Spirit took these words and, and was, was really saying to me, Jonathan, I have a whole lot more in store for you than to be a nice little pastor in a nice little church. I want to use you to do great things in the world. And so that elevated me from, from one level of walking with the Lord to another level of walking with the Lord. And so I, I said, Lord, I want to do great things for you. I, I want to be used mightily for you. I want to be, the, I want to be like a great prophet for you. I, I want to be a great Bible teacher for you. I, 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 I. Are you starting to get the point? It began to be about me. And then... I was studying this and I came across verse 2 that says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains then I can have all kinds of biographies written about me and I'll be quoted in magazines and I'll be on television and I, 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 I but the Lord really grabbed hold of my heart right here And it says, look, you can do all of those things. But if you don't have love, you are nothing. And that was really hard to read. And then verse 3, if I I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, that was something I never aspired to, by the way, to give my body to be burned. But, but, uh, but, but, But think about it. If if you give everything away, if you live like Mother Teresa lived, and if you are martyred someday, and when you get to heaven, and and then you say, I have arrived. I am here. I was just martyred for Christ. I am here. You know what's going to happen? Everybody's just going to turn away. Don't want to hear it. Because you didn't have love. Boy, that would be awful (laughs) to give up everything and gain nothing in return. But that's what Paul says. And this passage just really penetrated in my heart. And so I begin to pray that God would turn me into a man of love, and I'm still praying it today. How am I doing on that, Kathy? Just So, so that's what I thought. So you keep praying for me, and I, I keep praying for myself. But that's the first thing. Without love, we have no message. We are nothing. We profit nothing. Let's go to the next one. The next one is this, spiritual gifts fail, and even when they are successful, and when I say spiritual gifts fail, what, what I mean by that is that they can be misused. Spiritual gifts can be misused, and then even when they are successfully used, they're only temporary. But love never fails. Love never ends. Love is always relevant. Follow along as I read verses 4 through 8. Paul says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. I need to stop you there just for a moment because I, I need to give a little mini message here inside the main message I'm giving today. I just want you to, under, because it is so relevant for our time in which we live here in our Western culture, Verse 6, Paul says, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love rejoices with the truth. A lot of people are saying all, like the old Beatles song, all you need is love. Is that the Beatles? All we need is love. Okay. All you need is love. Just recently, my, my wife went uh, for a walk with a friend, and her friend was saying, you know, all we need is just to love other people. Just love, 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 love. And Kathy was trying to say, well, we need more than love, and we do. It's good to be tolerant. It's, it's good. We do need more love. We, need, we do need to abound in love. But if we have love without truth, we are doing a disservice to people. A lot of people talk about marriage and how marriage should be defined. I, I keep discovering new definitions of marriage as I read stories of, of, of the news. And, and I, I read the other day that a man married a holographic image that he created I, I, you know okay <laughs> and a couple of years ago I, I think this one is the best a couple years ago a woman married herself and she was there with a wedding ceremony and she had friends there they went through the whole thing and she married herself publicly Now, we can roll our eyes at that. We can chuckle at that. And we can say, what are people thinking? Or we'll just say they're not thinking. But it underscores the point here that we cannot just have love. We have to have love with the truth. Otherwise, we are doing a disservice to people. And so, we must go forward with truth and love together, to present the truth of God's Word in the most loving and humble way possible in order to help people. And so that's what Paul is talking about here. So let's finish this list. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away because we know in part and we prophesy in part. The point is this. When we exercise the spiritual gifts that God has given us, we do them for a short period of time and then it stops. If we have a, a prophetic word or a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, we do it for a little while and then it stops and it's fulfilled, it happens in their life and then life goes on. Spiritual gifts are temporal. They are used for a little while, and then they stop. But love never stops. Love is 24-7. We can always love other people all the time. And that's why love is superior even to spiritual gifts, which is why I entitled the message today, The Gift Above All Gifts. And that's giving love to other people. Let me finish the story about Helen, the young woman who sat in that Bible study for all those months with that vacant stare. God was at work in her life through the combination of a well-used spiritual gift and a loving community. And so when she burst out, why does this have to stop They knew it was an invitation to get involved in her life. And so they got involved in her life. And I don't know if they continued the Bible study in her apartment that summer. That's not really part of the story. But what did happen is they began to peel back the layers of her life. They began to get deeper into her life and to bring more and more healing to her life so that a few years later, she got married And the man who walked her down the aisle was the teacher of that Bible study. And after the wedding ceremony that day, and who knows, maybe they read 1 Corinthians 13. (laughs) But after the wedding ceremony that day, she gave my friend a plaque, and this is what the plaque said. When I reflect on our friendship, I am refreshed and confident that life is indeed worth the struggle. And my friend who's now approaching 80 years old said, I still have that plaque to this day, and it has a cherished place in my home. The combination of truth and love, the combination of gifts and love will set people free. Let's go to the last thing that I want to share with you this morning spiritual gifts are a sign of greater things to come. Listen as I read verse 9 to the end of the chapter. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face now I know in part then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known so now faith hope and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love what's Paul saying here he is saying that the spiritual gifts that we use are a sign of the coming kingdom the kingdom has come already. It's been inaugurated, but, but we're experiencing just portions of the kingdom of God. And one day, the kingdom of God will fully come into the world. Jesus Christ will return. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. All the pollution, all of the, of the impurity, all of the sin will be purged out of the universe, and there will only be a place of righteousness. We will have immortal bodies. We will see christ face to faith face we will live with him we will reign with him and then we will really be able to serve god and paul is saying compared to that day and as glorious as that day will be what we're doing now is just child's play and that's why he says yes get your spiritual gifts Use your spiritual gifts. Bless others with with your spiritual gifts. But just keep in mind, these are just toys compared to what we're going to have someday when Jesus Christ comes again. And that's pretty exciting to think about. It's at least exciting for me to think about when Christ comes again. And so that's why he concludes this. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three... But the greatest of these, and even when we look at the spiritual gifts, the greatest of all of these wonderful things that are given to us by the Holy Spirit, the greatest of all is to be a person of love. So, as God gives His gifts, and if He doesn't give you one of the more spectacular gifts, maybe you get the gift of helps. (laughs) How exciting is that? <laughs> or one of the more obscure things that puts you off in the corner where no one ever sees you, it doesn't matter because God sees you. And if you will take what He gives you and use what He gives you, develop what He gives you, and do it with love, and most of all, just develop your heart relationship with God, be a man of love, a woman of love, and reach out to others with love, you are the greatest of all. That's what God desires for all of you. That's what God desires for Grace Northridge Church. Shall we go forward in this? Well, a few of you want to. That's good. <laughs> I know all of you do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so good. As your word says, you are the giver of good gifts. Every good thing comes down from you, and we bless you. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for all of the wonderful gifts that you give us in this life, and we pray that we would be responsible with them. We would develop them. We would use them for your glory, and most of all, we pray, make us men and women of fervent love toward one another, and toward the needy people of this world. And we ask you to do this, and today we confess that if you don't do it, we are lost. But we ask you in the name of Jesus to do this among us, and we pray all of this in his name. Amen.